Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, uh, hi, Kindred. Uh, I'm really excited to be here talking with you tonight. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Ben. I am uh, on the board uh, here at Kindred. I have been so blessed to be a part of this church from the beginning, and I have absolutely loved getting to know many of you. Before we get started, I have to say teaching in this way is not what I would call one of my gifts. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine had asked if I ever planned on doing this, and it was a very resounding no. This is not my gift. So uh, being up here is just not something I ever foresaw. Uh, and in fact, when Zach and I first started uh, talking about me speaking tonight, it brought so much fear for me, uh, which I think is really interesting considering tonight's topic. To get us started, I, I want to share a little story about my family. Um, this is my, my family here, uh, my wonderful wife, Jordan, and my three daughters. The uh, oldest is Molly, the middle is Gabby, and our youngest is Charlotte. And if any of you know these girls, you know how wonderfully different they all are. Um, in fact, uh, our oldest, Molly, um, she was the first to get into dance, and it was on one of the drives home from dance that I share this story. Molly often talks about the new tricks she's been trying or the different ways she's connected with other kids or her teachers, uh, and on this particular drive, uh, she was really excited um, to share that she had landed her first back walkover. Too eager to join in on the conversation, Gabby had to jump in and tell me that she landed her first backbend. She explains to me that one of the teachers helped her, because, and she's really glad that the teacher did because she could have died. <laughs> I immediately exclaim my shock and horror at the thought of her dying, and Gabby, in her sweet, goofy voice, says, and matter-of-factly, actually, why, Dad? Everybody dies. In fact... We might as well just start saying our goodbyes now. <laughs> so you can imagine my shock and horror and, and all the emotion that went through uh, in my head at that moment. And frankly, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. So with that, I'm sure you're all just thrilled to guess what we're talking about uh, tonight. And while I must admit this isn't the most uplifting subject, it is one I know how to talk about. I come to you tonight to talk about something I experience professionally almost daily, something I have experienced personally, and something we all share in common, loss. Now before I get too far in tonight, I want to acknowledge a few things. As a Christian and really as a human, I've heard all sorts of well-meaning statements in all sorts of uh, situations. Specifically, I want to start by telling you what I won't be teaching tonight. You see, I am someone who too has experienced loss. And I have sat in a room just like this, and I've heard a message that the loss I experienced was all part of God's plan, almost in a tone that I should be grateful to him for this plan that included that loss. And if I'm not, someday I will be grateful for that. Now I'll share more about this later, um, but some background. I lost my mom when she was 54. Jordan was pregnant, and in fact, it was just weeks before Gabby was born uh, that we lost her. Now, I don't know if God planned for me and our family to suffer the tragedy we experienced from her illness. I really struggle with the idea that he would purposefully create a plan that puts my then three-and-a-half-year-old through that pain that she felt 
and continues to feel when she cries for her Lala. We know that death and suffering was never God's intention for us, but it is a reality we now live with. Pain was never part of the plan, but because of who God is, he promises to purpose that pain and not waste it. So while I struggle with what was intended for our family, I do believe God was with us and will use the loss for something greater than we could have understood. I believe me standing here tonight even is evidence that he can use something that felt and feels so terrible for something greater. I also want to acknowledge that for some of you, your loss may be recent or your wound is too fresh or too deep. For some of you, some of the words I have tonight won't resonate or, sound, or they'll sound like I'm asking something of you when you have nothing to give. And please hear me when I say I am not asking for anything of you. So with that, let's talk about the reason I am here. You see, I, I'm a doctor. I practice internal medicine locally, and I've been in practice for over 10 years. I've had the honor of walking with so many through some of the most difficult times imaginable. I have been a part of people's stories in ways I am not even sure I can comprehend. It is because of these shared experiences that I feel I have some ground to stand on in regards to this teaching tonight. As I share a few stories tonight, I'd like to start with some words from Paul. Paul not only gives praise to God, but in a way he gives us instruction. He writes, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. As an internal medicine doctor dating back even to my training, I have cared for countless people in some of their sickest times. I have seen young adults and elderly alike through critical illness. I have seen patients face it alone with uh, patients face it alone, and some with families large enough to fill waiting rooms. I have seen death firsthand and experienced a myriad of ways in which people spend their waning hours in their earthly bodies from peaceful final moments to the trauma of what we call a code during attempts at resuscitation. With all of this, I have seen many scenarios that have been beautiful, if even tragic. I have seen miracles of healing and the end of suffering. Through death and illness, I have continued to see time and again the desire of comfort through connection. One of the more common themes of tragedy in the hospital often involve those suffering or dying alone. When a person is spending their waning hours or minutes alone, it is not uncommon to see a nurse or a CNA or a chaplain sitting bedside with them, holding their hands. It feels all the more tragic if someone is found to have been alone in their final moments. Why does this resonate? I believe because God commands togetherness. In fact, there's a reason we say around here, we belong to God, we belong to each other. In medicine, we learn to be comfortable around others in their own tragedies. 
It isn't so much a closing off of ourselves, but rather we learn to be present and steady for others when they can't be. One thing we don't learn is how to navigate that when we are the ones sitting on the other side, the ones who are being faced with the news I have grown accustomed to sharing. I would like to share what it was like when suddenly the tables turned and I found myself in that moment with my mom. The story starts around the time I graduated med school. My mom mentioned to me that she had two falls at at work. She was a very active woman, nearing 50 at the time. She had clearly developed weakness in her feet that just didn't make sense. After months of testing and many different opinions from different doctors, the unthinkable happened. She was diagnosed with ALS. For those of you who are unfamiliar, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, is a neuro, and once featured in the Ice Bucket Challenge, is a neurodegenerative disease that sometimes not so slowly renders the person paralyzed. An individual with ALS will often start with weakness of some form uh, and over the subsequent three to five years will progress to the point where the person is almost completely paralyzed. Despite the fact that they are unable to move, they are usually fully cognitively intact. They can think like before, but they can't move. I had long before this called ALS the worst disease imaginable. To have my own mother diagnosed with this completely wrecked me. There were times when I questioned everything. Why would mom deserve this? Why would God allow this? Why wouldn't he fix this? Where was he? Is he even there? These sometimes fleeting, sometimes not so fleeting thoughts would dominate my internal dialogue anytime I would think about my mom and her illness. The five years that followed were filled with trials, laughs, tears, anger, and cherished memories. My mother was well enough to hold Molly on the day of her birth. She watched through her communication tablet that she had as Molly learned to crawl. She even shared precious time with Molly sitting in her lap on her wheelchair. Molly was her joy during this time when her body was taken from her. Ultimately, on November 3rd, 2015, she succumbed to the disease. Despite remembering each painful detail of the night she died, the following days are a blur. I remember the weight of planning the service to honor her. I remember wondering, how am I supposed to go on without her? I remember very little else with one major exception. Despite remembering these terrible things I had, or these terrible feelings I had, I have a much stronger memory of those with me. I remember friends coming to her service, even where they were sitting in the sanctuary of our old church. I remember the way my wife held me, supported me, at a time when she was supposed to be the one being supported by me, at 34 weeks pregnant. I remember Josie and Zach. I remember them being there helping with Molly. 
They were there the way we needed. I remember my sister sitting there uh, in those waning hours. I remember my dad being in the room as my mom died, promising to my mom to be what my sister and I needed in her absence. This despite their divorce 30 years prior. I can honestly say, I do not remember a single phrase uttered to me to try to make me feel better. I simply remember, and I simply needed their presence. Fast forward several years, and I still hadn't realized how important that presence was. In fact, I had written something I would like to share with you tonight. The date I wrote this was July 5th, 2021, almost one month to the date after my youngest Charlotte was born. I wrote, I've thought about, talked about my world, my life turning. I've experienced this turn several times in my life. My parents' divorce, loss of grandparents, a breakup before medical school, depression. But I never put into words or frankly acknowledged it until mom died. In hindsight, I know the feeling exactly, and her diagnosis was one of the bigger turns in my life. After she died, I knew life would never be the same. My world was on a new trajectory. And maybe turn down a path isn't the right analogy. It doesn't feel strong enough. The turn I'm talking about is like changing the plane of my entire existence. It's like my world has rotated 45 degrees around me, and I'm supposed to keep moving normally. I may eventually get used to this feeling, but it just feels off. I spend my time looking to God to turn my world back, and I get mad at him when he doesn't. I eventually stop asking as I get more and more used to this new orientation of my world. Even as I get used to it, every once in a while I look back and I wish it was right. I wish and I get mad that God isn't writing things. I can't feel Jesus carrying me, as the famous poem says. For me, one of the greatest gifts I could receive during my time of grief was that of presence. I was surrounded by friends and family whom I love and who love me. I spent so much time in prayer asking God for a miracle and have since spent so much time being mad at him for not delivering. Yet, in hindsight, I ask myself, how much time have I spent thanking him for being there, for holding me together? It was Lindsay recently who pointed out to me uh, that perhaps even more profound than the miracles Jesus performed was simply his presence. God was with us in physical form, experiencing our troubles, as Paul refers to them. While his greatest miracle was defeating death, I don't know about you, but I surely don't spend enough time in awe over both his presence in the form of the flesh when he sent Jesus, or also in the form of the Holy Spirit with his presence each day. So how did I finish my thoughts on the turns my world has taken? If you'll indulge me one more time and allow me to be vulnerable, I'd like to share the end of this thing I wrote. If you'll remember, it was written one month after my youngest was born. I said, Today I realized for the first time that the turn isn't always bad. I have a new beautiful baby girl, 
She marks my third and thir- such time I hadn't acknowledged this beautiful turn. I have had these life-altering moments in a good way so many times before. I have had these life-altering um, moments such as marrying Jordan, graduating medical school and finishing residency, the birth of my girls, and the many, many times with my two older babies. Recently, I, at that time, I started a new job in which I seemed to be yearning for the negative side. Just today, though, I'm settling into the fact that it might just be a good thing. And in this realization, as I don't know which way is up anymore, suddenly I realized where God is in this analogy in my world. I've been asking him to fix the way the world stands, but all along, he's been the one holding my feet to the ground. I wrote these words for myself. I'm not much of a writer. I don't journal often. And at the time, I wasn't even sure why I was writing this. But I hope it resonates with you tonight. And so with all of that, I would challenge all of us to remember how we are commanded to be like Jesus. In Romans and throughout the Bible, there are several places in which we hear about the support and the presence of God. In Romans 8.38, Paul writes, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. This is why I love the message version, the vision that comes to my mind of God embracing me in so far the darkest time of my life is enough to bring me to a place that I cannot even describe in words. I might be turned upside down, unable to navigate the plane of my existence, but it doesn't matter because he has me. He is embracing me. So how do we model this embrace? One tradition of the Jewish faith that is incredibly beautiful is that of Shiva. Shiva, Hebrew for seven, is the time in the first seven days of grief that are considered to be the most intense or most disorienting. Those closest to the lost loved one, called mourners, such as spouses, siblings, parents, or children of the deceased, are to remain in the home of the one who is lost. Their friends and family come to the mourners during this time, and it is expected that the mourners are surrounded by others, not to say the right thing or to try to cheer them up, but to be present so that they can focus purely on their grief. The doors of the home are often left unlocked so that anyone coming in to be present with the mourners may enter without disturbing that time or focus on the loss. It is customary for those visiting to enter the room of those who are grieving and to not speak until spoken to, and a simple, I'm sorry, is all that is expected. Once the mourners engage, it's often time to spend spend remembering, telling stories, sharing memories. Mourners are not expected to host. And in fact, it is the job of those who visit to simply support them so that they can experience their grief. There's so many different symbols in this tradition that are truly beautiful. But the one that strikes me is the focus and the importance on presence, allowing the mourners to just grieve. 
In another example, uh, perhaps one of the more famous verses from the Bible for trivia purposes is John 11.35, Jesus wept. I hadn't put much thought before into the order of things of this event, but if you read John 11, prior to this verse, Jesus had heard Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, was ill and dying. Upon his death, Martha and Mary both asked Jesus why he hadn't healed or raised Lazarus. Why hadn't he performed the miracle they knew he could? Jesus does go on, in fact, to raise Lazarus, but before this, he weeps. Jesus experiences this grief with his friends. He is with them. This whole passage hit me in so many different ways as I prepared this talk. First, it felt almost comical that, to me, I have been so upset with God for not performing that miracle I knew he could, just as Mary and Martha had. They had asked him to perform the miracle they knew he could. We as people don't change. Secondly, I've been missing the point for so long. Jesus wept. He was there with them. He was grieving. For me, learning to be present hasn't always been easy or something that's, and is something that still requires practice on my part. I have been trained and in many ways made to be comfortable with loss, tragedy, and death. As someone who has had to deliver the news of the unexpected loss to a loved one, the diagnosis of a terminal cancer or illness, yes, even ALS, I have been brought to a place where I have become comfortable in the presence of other people's pain. Culturally, we are so avoidant of this discomfort that it feels awkward. We avoid the heavy feeling and we don't know what to do with it. I have learned to sit in silence, not needing to find the right words. I am not responsible to fix the grief or pain a person is feeling. I have learned to sit, to listen, while giving my full attention as someone tells me about their suffering. When we are faced with someone going through a turn in their own world, there are many ways to show up. It can be hard to find the right words or know what to do. I offer the model that Jesus has given. Remember with your loved ones, comfort them, not necessarily with words, but rather listen and practice presence. We model the way of Jesus when we weep with people, when we sit with them, when we don't break eye contact, when we don't succumb to the urge to fill the silence with well-intentioned pleasantries as they tell us about their suffering. In other words, listen. Allow them to grieve. This is the power of presence. And we get to embody how Jesus is with us for others. Kindred, will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your presence in, in good times and bad. While it might not have been part of the plan, I, I am so grateful that you purpose our pain. You take our pain and you use it in some way 
And I know that for me personally, I'm not always able to see that, appreciate that, or, or even acknowledge that you're there, that, acknowledge your presence in this time. And yet, despite that, God, you're still there, fully present. God, loss transcends us all. It's universal. It's something we all experience in our life, and, and, and yet we all experience it and handle it differently. We each have different needs in times like these. And despite the different ways we experience it, one thing we all have in common is that need for connection. And I thank you for modeling that. Thank you for giving us your son who experiences this with us, who comforts us, and for continuing to give us your presence and, to pur- and purpose to us. God, I pray for those who may not be, who may be in the role of the mourner tonight. I pray for those who may not be able to hear these words, whose wounds are too fresh. I just pray that you bring the comfort of your presence to them. And I pray that we continue to learn from the model you have provided, that while we won't always get it right, that we keep trying. Amen.